Can you explain <laughs> how you go from being a teacher to uh, writing full-time? Very slowly, in my case. Um, I taught for a couple of years, and then um, I, I had an idea that I thought was so um, going to be so successful for me, I had to pack up my job and write it, which I did, but obviously wasn't successful for me. And so I went back to work for a little bit. I, I taught English as a foreign language for a few years. Um, I think the thing that made a difference to me was um, I started to review. I started to write reviews in, in newspapers because um, I, I sold a short story to a magazine that asked me to do more stuff. And from there, it, uh, you know, I started to uh, write longer pieces and, I, I, and then I wrote Fever Pitch. I mean, I didn't know anything about the process of filmmaking when um, Fever Pitch came out. And, um, and I didn't realise then that an awful lot of books get optioned, which means that someone will pay you usually a small amount of money in the hope that they can work on um, developing a film and they'll give you some more money when the film actually gets made. Um, and, and in fact, if you talk to anyone who writes for a living, they've usually had a book optioned, whether it's by a Hollywood studio or by a kid next door who wants to be a producer. So um, a young producer and director approached me and, and said that they wanted to try and make it into a movie and, and they wanted me to try and adapt it. And, uh, and I didn't really think anything of it. I, I, I did work on the screenplay and we sort of ticked along for a few years and then there came a point where Film 4 got interested and, um, and, and they eventually funded the whole thing. Uh, but it was a very slow process and I was doing other things. I think I'd written High Fidelity and um, Some of About a Boy by the time the film came out. Now you're actually played by Colin Firth in the film. Mm. Um, was he somebody you had in mind when writing? <laughs> or I mean, do you actually have much involvement with the casting process throughout the film? Well, on that particular film, we were all first-timers. It was first-time producer, first-time director, first-time screenwriter. And I was involved, yeah. I mean, for a long time, it was, as it were, just the three of us. Um, and so I, I felt very closely connected to the process. And it, we'll talk about some of the others later, but sometimes if the film goes off to America or it's optioned by a studio, you don't feel so close to the process. You don't know what's happened to your book for years on end sometimes. <laughs> But this one, uh, I was involved with. I mean, I can never imagine any of my characters as any particular actor because um, my characters actually feel like quite ordinary people to me. And film stars, by definition, are not ordinary people. The reason they're film stars, apart from talent, is that they look really good. Um, Colin being a case in point, uh, they wouldn't be film stars if they weren't extraordinarily beautiful or handsome. They'd be, they'd be character actors, and character actors, of course, can't play leads in films because no one will back you. So you have to have one of these demigods. <laughs> Colin had just been in Pride and Prejudice. He was generally regarded as the sexiest man in England. Um, and, and then when the, uh, the producer and director said, we think, we'd like to offer him the job. I just laughed, first of all, and then I met him, and I, uh, he's actually quite like the character of Paul in Fever Pitch. I think it's the closest to his own character that he's played, probably. And did uh, Hugh Grant, as another casting, come naturally to About a Boy? Yeah, I mean, uh, Hugh was sort of perfect casting, I think, yeah. for that film. Um, I think that. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't wish to disparage Hugh, but I would say that there's a little overlap between 
um, Hugh in real life and the character that uh, he played in the film. And um, he, he was very keen to do it. Um, I think he was the first person to get involved in it and, and committed himself quite early on. What was your inspiration for the characters and plot? Um, <laughs> well, uh, the very first idea I had was of a guy who makes up a kid in order to um, date single mothers. Um, and that came actually from taking um, my eldest son when he was very little and, a, and a, a single male friend to the park, and he came with us. And when we got there, he, he looked around and he said, no one's ever told me about this place because of all the young mums and the nannies and everything around, which I thought was a, it was a very funny idea. It, it kind of grew out of that. Um, and the character of Marcus um, was um, inspired by teaching, really. Um, three or four kids um, who, were quite odd and quite bright um, and who didn't fit in, even though there wasn't any conceivable reason why they wouldn't. They just, they just didn't go with the mainstream flow. During the process of having a book option, was there ever a time you were sceptical of, of one's transition through to becoming a film? I think you're always sceptical. I mean, all my books have been optioned and um, all the others are stuck in various stages of production. I think you just have to accept that it's, um, you know, the first thing is it's a bit of extra money that you weren't looking for. The second thing is you might get to meet some interesting people along the way. And I think the very last thing um, to depend on is that there will ever be a film at the end of it. As far as I can work out, there is always a 10% chance of a movie being made, no matter what stage you're at. That's, that's my rule of thumb. <laughs> I don't think a bad film or a good film necessarily reflects on the quality of the book, but I think that I've come to see, especially as I've done a bit of adaptation as well, I've come to see what kind of qualities a book needs to make a good film. And I would say that the first thing is it needs a clean narrative line. So in the end, in other words, if there's lots and lots of subplots, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to make a very messy adaptation. I don't think the book can be too long. I think if you've got a seven or eight hundred page novel, I think it's impossible really to make a movie from it. It's just bad luck, however magnificent the novel might be. And the other thing is that the novel can't be too internal. Um, that if you, you look at it and it turns out to be 50 pages of somebody thinking, um, you can't point the camera to face and hope for the best and say, look, he's thinking all these deep mm -hmm. thoughts. Uh, the author has access to characters that a filmmaker can't. If you look at something like High Fidelity, it's set inside a record store, inside somebody's head. And uh, of all the things that you shouldn't be writing about if you want a, um, a movie adaptation, I'd say those are two of them. Um, it's, it's sort of physical action that lends itself best to cinema, and I don't write it. So I, I just write what I want to write, and if anyone wants to try and make a movie out of it, then that's up to them. Um, you've set up a creative writing mentoring uh, centre in East London um, called the Ministry of Stories. Um, can you tell us quickly just how, how young people can get involved with that and uh, what can actually be done to get people reading more? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about making sure that people read what they want to read. Uh, and um, one of the things that kills reading for all of us is a sense of duty. Um, and, and I think that too many of us read because of a sense of duty, that we read 
worthy books that we feel might be improving and um, and then we put them down and turn on the TV. And in fact, when you choose the right book, then um, it, you, you find that you're going to watch that instead, uh, read that instead of watching anything else. So find what you want to read and stick to it. Keep working because there's something that will speak to you. <laughs>